Blog Talk Radio. Carol the Coach. Sex, love, and relationships. We talk about it here. Carol the Coach. Compassion with contemporary relevance. I am a psychotherapist. I can be your personal life coach and I can help you with your issues. There are no problems too small or too big. You can talk about anything. Speaker, columnist, radio TV host, and commentator. Carol the Coach brings messages of wellness and empowerment within reach of everyday people every day. Almost five years ago, I lost my soulmate in an accident. He was killed in a plane crash. Life just for me has seemed to stop. There are groups all over the city. I mean, I teach one. It is a specific way to start thinking so that you shift how you see the world, which then shifts your energy, and then you feel better and you actually see things differently. Carol the Coach, always available to at carolthecoach.com. Now I've got Russell on the line. I'm 47 years old. I'm a truck driver. I'm married. I have a wife in San Francisco. Okay. I haven't been home in six months. My thing is, I I don't know if I have a sex addiction or what the problem is. Why do I want what I can't have? And as soon as I can have it, I don't want it anymore. You're right on target when you say, I don't know if I have a sexual addiction. Well, guess what? Yes, you do. And you know what? That's my specialty, Russell. So you're at the right place. Continue. I meet women online and and I'm in a different part of the country. I I travel all 48 states, so I love sex. I hear self-esteem issues. You never felt good enough and you didn't feel like you were getting what you should have then. And you're really reenacting that now. Do you want to change that about yourself? Oh yeah. Do you want to change? That is the million dollar question and I'm here to tell you, you should want to change. And when you do, there are so many people out there that can help you change. If you're a sex addict, you need to go to sexhealth.com Look for a CSAT, a Certified Sexual Addiction Therapist, in your area and get the help from a specialist who knows and has been trained how to help addicts manage this recovery. And then if you are a partner listening to the show and you want a partner-sensitive therapist or coach, you go to APSATS, APS, APS, and they have been trained to specifically understand that what you are going through is traumatic. Now, the truth of the matter is the minute I say traumatic, um, that obviously originates in trauma. And partner betrayal is traumatic. There's a lot of trauma. And then, believe it or not, as an addict, gets into good recovery, and he sees his partner in a situation where she is in the fetal position on the floor, that is traumatic to him. It's all about getting healthy. That's why we're going to be talking with Crystal Winslow today. She is, Crystal is an amazing clinician who trains professionals on EMDR. And I'll tell you what, Miss Whitlow is, is somebody who has the ability to really explain things when it comes to trauma treatment. And so I asked her to come on the show um, 
because she has made it her life to get people trauma treatment. And she especially knows that EMDR can help addicts decrease their trauma, urges, and cravings. And there's a variety of protocols that helps that. So we're going to be talking with her today. You know, I work with so many of you who really struggle with how COVID is affecting um, your ability to get help. I just had a 76-year-old man contact me. He's a doc. And he said, I'm not doing Zoom. I want face-to-face meetings. Where are they? Well, the truth of the matter is there are some face-to-face meetings all over the country, but very rare, not really that available because of the pandemic. And so he's going to have to be patient, and I'm going to have to help him to realize that he's going to have to put up with the inconvenience of Zoom uh, until we can go back to a normal state. Now, speaking of states, is your state relaxing some when it comes to the pandemic? Because we want everybody to be safe, but we do want to get back to a more normal life. And you deserve, if you're an addict, to be able to access recovery with connection, right? Because connection is the antidote to addiction. And it is harder to literally, much harder to connect with people over a screen. But I got to tell you, a lot of people like that. They like not having to leave their house. They like the anonymity of turning off their video, multitasking, and going to the meeting. They like being able to go anywhere in the world for a meeting because now they don't have to walk in. They can access things at the drop of a dime. So the good news is that it is working for a lot of people, and I would encourage you to reach out and go to some new meetings in another country, uh, at least in another state. I always think back to my client who he was heading to Texas and you may have heard this story because I've told it before it it just tickles me so to speak he was going to uh, Texas and I said well you're going to be there for 10 days get yourself to a few meetings and he's like he looked at me like he had that deer in the headlights look and he goes go go to a meeting in Texas and I go yeah there's if there's no chance you're going to be discovered. It's totally anonymous. Uh, People are not going to know you. Get your butt to a meeting in Texas. And then I told him, you know, my sister's a recovering alcoholic, and whenever she goes to a different state, she always goes to an AA meeting there. She wants to see what they're like. She says, you know, sometimes I'll find that there is a sixth degree of separation. Somebody asks where I'm from. I say Indianapolis. And then they're off to the races. Uh, you know, somebody will say, oh, I used to live in, and they're 
there they are talking about an area that's three minutes from my sister's home. You get the scoop. So my client decides he's going to go do it. And he walks in, you know, he's new to things, and it's before the meeting, and they're asking, hey, you're new, you're a newbie, aren't you? And he says, yeah. And they go, do you need a sponsor? He goes, no, I've got a sponsor. I'm, I'm just here on business, and I decide, decided to go to a meeting. And then he said, well, I didn't decide to go to a meeting. My therapist is a Rottweiler, and she insisted I go. And they go, whoa, that's what we need. We need a therapist Rottweiler. We need somebody to hold us accountable. We don't have that type around here. And he goes, oh, you've probably never worked with Carol the coach then because, and they go, oh, you work with Carol the coach? The Carol the coach that has the podcast? The Carol the coach that's written the book? And he said, Carol, all of a sudden, I was a celebrity because I worked with you. And he said, I had to tell him, you know, she's a good therapist, but calm down. She's not all that. And I said, you did what? And he goes, no, I was teasing him. I said, I was really blessed. You were the only therapist in Indianapolis that was a CSAT and that I was really lucky to have you. So I always laugh when um, one of my clients will say, oh, my gosh, people people recognize me because of you, Carol. And, and that's what it's all about. It's really about connection. See, that made me happy that I, I have some connections all over the world. Um, and it's, it's kind of the same way when I go to my own professional conferences. You know, when you do two podcasts and you interview people all over the world, and when you're a talker like I am, I don't just sit in the front row and listen to the, the speaker but I sit in that front row because I don't want anybody in between me and the speaker. And I'm always asking the person next to me, oh, who are you? What state do you live in? Tell me a little bit about you. You know, that's my life, right? It's my job. And it's what I do. That's who I am. And um, a lot of times I'll say, I'll say, oh, well, you know, who are you? And I remember once this man said, well, my name is Darren Ford. And I said, Darren, I have been wanting to talk to you. You were on my podcast, and you wrote a book, and you have a publishing company, and I loved your graphics, and I want to talk to you about publishing with you. Well, he loved it. Why? Because he was just a uh, publisher who had just started out. He was a CSAC. He um, had written a book called The Addictive Mind. He's now, since then, written three. They're all unbelievably good, especially his memoir. What he has been through is unbelievable. You may have heard him on the podcast. I, right before I did a mindfulness workshop with him, I asked him to come on and talk to me about what he was doing. Because what they're really finding is that mindfulness is an amazing opportunity for sex addicts to get centered, resource grounded, and learn how to surrender to the urges and cravings and to have compassion for oneself as one's doing that. So, you know, I just feel very blessed that I have been able to learn some mindfulness from him. Not to mention that I adore his graphic artist, Chris, 
I think he's done a great job. I don't know if you've ever noticed. If you're a partner, he did all the graphics for Unleashing Your Power. If you followed my advice and you bought the book Transformations because you wanted a book that you could give to your sister or mother that was about working through trauma and improving your self-esteem, but you weren't a partner, that, that's the second book that we did. And then, of course, Help Her Heal, which I am so jazzed. I am going to be presenting to all the CSATs, well, not all the CSATs, but to ITAP. I'm going to be presenting a Help Her Heal two-day workshop. They came to me. They asked me to do it. How could I turn them down? So I'm going to be doing that in August. And got a lot of experience exciting things coming down the road, but I'm not allowed to talk about them yet. Um, So please stay tuned. If you're a clinician or a coach, there are a lot of training opportunities coming up for you. Uh, And and I think some of the best in the world, (laughs) well, I am presenting them. (laughs) So I'm teasing, I'm teasing. We've got great presenters all over the world. But do you hear me? Do you hear that self-esteem I've got? I know I'm a good presenter, and I know I'm a good trainer. And I know I have a lot to offer, and that's what I want you to know, too. You need to know that no matter what you've dealt with in your life, that you can get past it, Getting Past Your Past, a wonderful book on EMDR. You can move through it because that's what managing recovery is all about. It's navigating yourself through it. And appreciating the fact that, wow, you are stronger because of it. And that's how I want you to live your life. I want you to feel good about what has ever happened in your life. How can you take it and make it stronger? How can you use it and feel better and know that maybe even you've moved through it, you can help others do the same. Because as I always say, what did Patrick Carnes tell you about sex addiction? He said, through great suffering comes transformation. And out of great transformation within yourself comes giving back. And so I'd ask you, if you are pretty much managing your sex addiction right now, then ask yourself, what can I do to give back? Because I got this thing down. Now, we never want to get too cocky. We always want to have good humility. But if you're in that place, you need to give back. This is the toughest addiction there is. And, you know, it came out, it came out of either uh, habit repetition or trauma reenactment, or um, lots of struggle with self-soothing and management. So that's why I asked Crystal to be on the show, so she could talk about EMDR and also help us understand how might EMDR help to decrease the urges and the cravings and, you know, in EMDR, we talk about protocols. So we're going to ask her about what protocols make a difference when you're working with somebody who has the toughest addiction in the world. I'm not talking heroin. I'm not talking alcohol. I'm talking sex. 
So, Crystal, welcome to Sex Help with Carol the Coach. How are you today? Hi, Carol. Thanks for having me. I'm I'm doing well in a busy time for therapists, but yes, I'm doing well. Oh, I know. You know, what has come to my attention, and you know I have been EMDR trained and certified, um, what's come to my attention is how many therapists are using EMDR virtually. I mean, yes. it's really a new world, isn't it, Crystal? It is. And, you know, as you know, I teach EMDR as well as as practice it. And um, I've said to some of my recent trainees, if, if, you know, I was doing a training a year ago, I, and somebody would ask me about online EMDR, virtual EMDR, I probably would have said, oh, we don't know enough about that. Or, you know, that's probably not as effective or that kind of thing. And boy, has my tone changed since then. This year has taught us so much and, you know, in in a good way has really expanded, forced us to expand our knowledge of how EMDR can work and our ability to do it. The technology has, has met us where we needed to be, you know, where we were and, um, and has given us a lot of options. So virtual EMDR is definitely possible and helpful and I have to admit way more powerful than I even could have expected so well you know I really can appreciate that Crystal because I did the same thing only different when um when my clients would you know just haphazardly ask um can you refer me to a polygrapher because I want I want to test him or I want to check my kid and make sure he's not lying in. And I looked at my families and I would say, the day I order a polygraph test is the day, now don't take me wrong here, is the day I slip my wrist long ways. I would never do that. I'm not that kind of a therapist. And if you need that to better or to know, we need to work mm-hmm. with you on how to know without that. But in today's world, With sex addiction, polygraphs are really essential in, one, developing trust um, in the partner that she's really getting the information she needs to have. And also it helps him with accountability. It's not seen as a punishment. It's actually seen as a resource tool. So I would never have said that 10 years ago. And now Mm -mm. I might make 10 referrals a week. To help people oh, wow. stay on track. Yeah. It's, uh, so I get that. When, when you know better, you do better, don't you? <laughs> Absolutely, because now I'm not only practicing EMDR virtually, but also teaching how to do EMDR virtually. And, you know, never would have thought a year ago. <laughs> well, and that's who you are. I mean, you have always taken your life to the next level and you know, you've worked with some real experts in the field, and they think out of the box, too. So let's talk about EMDR, because truly, EMDR is, is and was, continues to be the most research-oriented, empirically-based treatment of any treatment in the world. Is that not right? Um, it's, probably some would argue, but it's definitely got a, a huge research base. It is evidence-based practice now, and it has a huge research base with 
well over 30, probably closer to 50 now if I had to guess, randomized controlled trials proving its effectiveness, especially with PTSD and trauma reactions, but with other symptomology like uh, uh, um, anxiety, depression, um, phobias, things of that nature. I think, you know, some of the therapies have been around a little longer, like CBT might have more as far as, you know, more quantity of research, but um, EMDR is certainly uh, gaining on that fast, I would guess. Right. And when EMDR first came out, there was a lot of allegations that EMDR, uh, when you use EMDR, you might have false memories that came up. And I have never experienced a client that had false memories. Why do you think people thought that in the, oh, I want to say mid-90s maybe? Yeah, it was such a controversy then. I mean, it continues to be a controversy in the field on some level. Um, But I think, you know, conceptually the idea of false memories just doesn't uh, jive well with EMDR because EMDR, I think, is a very client-centered approach that if the client reports something that they remember or that they, um, you know, report having experienced, our job is not to verify or fact check or, you know, determine whether that's, quote, true or not. It's to take the client's experience of what they are saying and simply, as we say in EMDR, go with that. You know, in other words, we're going to continue our EMDR process using our bilateral stimulation and let the brain work through that process without questioning or, or emphasizing or even, you know, validating necessarily um, the, the truth of, of something like that. We're not going to even have to get into much of a discussion of it because it's going to be more of a just notice that that came up and go with that and let the brain do its, its healing process, which is really, an internal mechanism that we all have. EMDR is not um, taking something necessarily from the outside and putting it in, but in in fact sort of uh, allowing the brain's natural process to, to heal the person intrinsically. So, um, so it's really working from that place. Yeah. And would you share the story? Because certainly when we first learned EMDR, there was one way to do it and one way only, and it kept it very measurable <laughs> so that Francine Shapiro and her team could measure the results and the impact of EMDR. Would you share the story of how she developed and discovered uh, bilateral stimulation? Yeah, well, there's sort of a folklore about it. I mean, she does write about this in her book, but I, you know, she's the story, the simple story is that she was working on a dissertation in California um, and was, you know, working out some, some research things and she had an upsetting day and um, went out for a walk in the park and noticed that as her eyes moved back and forth kind of rapidly across the path she was walking, that, her thoughts seemed to not bother her as much that she felt less emotional and less bothered by the the trouble she was having. And so she started to test it um, by bringing to mind disturbing thoughts, moving her eyes back and forth and noticing again that the emotion reduced. And so she started testing it out just on people she knew and 
everybody seemed to be reporting the same function was happening. And so that's when she designed her first, um, her first research study, which was published in 1989 in the Journal of Traumatic Stress. Um, but also, I mean, I think just a little background, and she mentions this in her 2018 book, which we're lucky enough to um, have, have had published before her death a year later. Um, but she, you know, she had had cancer and um, was on a kind of a healing journey for herself because prior to doing her, her PhD work in psychology, she was working toward a PhD in English literature. And when she got cancer, she went on this big healing journey looking for any kind of healing, whether, you know, Western, Eastern medicine um, kinds of things. And um, I think it's somewhere in there she, she worked with and had discovered some other forms of, of healing and was kind of more open-minded about things that were outside of the realm of talk therapy. So um, she had worked with Bandler and Grinder in the, who developed NLP neuro-linguistic programming at some point and, um, and was aware of, of something to do with eye movement. So I think it was sort of one of those situations where opportunity meets, <laughs> uh, meets knowledge and experience. Um, yeah, yeah, that, that was her history sort of, sort of happenstance, but with some preparation in there too, I think. Wow, I didn't know that she had done the team, some teamwork with Bandler and Grinder because very clearly I am Ericksonian in nature, and that's Milton Erickson, and, and he was mm-hmm. a strategic brief therapist, and he believed in very unusual interventions that confused the brain but at the same time yes. opened it up for opportunities. And yes. Bandler and Brinder yes. trained you know, under Milton Erickson for years and years and years. And so oh. it makes sense that, again, it's kind of that think outside of the box um, concept with knowing brain science that enabled mm-hmm. her to create this measurement tool. And, you know, I'm wondering how you discovered it and what that was like for you as a young EMDR therapist. Yeah, it was it was a personal journey too. I mean, I think kind of like we've learned over the last year, necessity is the mother of invention, right? Or the mother of discovery maybe too. Um, but uh, after hearing about it just once briefly in my first job as a sexual assault, um, I was working in a rape crisis center in Virginia. I kind of filed it away as a possible thing I'd like to get trained in just because I could tell that my clients were needing more than talk therapy could provide. Um, they were just experiencing the trauma in their bodies. And no matter how many times we talked about it or, you know, worked through it, it seemed like they were still experiencing it, experiencing the trauma sort of on this somatic level that I couldn't quite reach. And so, but then I, I went through the birth of my first son, which was a very traumatic birth experience for me to the point where um, afterward, I, I mean, I literally felt traumatized in my body, which was tied to, to past trauma for me as well, which I didn't know at the time, and um, kind of had this period of desperate postpartum depression and anxiety for many months and did therapy and, and had was on medication and you know, was feeling somewhat better and functional, but um, still just felt traumatized in it really in my body. And somebody, a, a friend recommended that I look into EMDR and I was lucky enough to find somebody locally who, who practiced it. And within 
the first the first session was really astounding to me because I felt so much better after the first session. But after about three sessions, I felt like more myself than I had in probably a year prior to that and probably even feeling more like I was moving toward an even better version of myself. And, and I went on to do much more EMDR work as a client um, just on childhood trauma. And, you know, I had a lot of that in my background, but it really changed my life personally. And then as soon as I could within my career, I wanted to get trained in it. And as soon as I got the training and started working with clients, my, my specialty is working with women who've been sexually abused and I've worked with men who've been sexually abused too, um, as well as just general kinds of trauma. Um, I noticed that EMDR was helping them faster. And what I could only say is it seemed deeper than what I could get to with the talk therapy I was doing. And, um, and I got certified very quickly, became a consultant later on and, and then um, met Roy Kiesling, and he asked me to be a trainer for his company as well. So, um, so yeah, it's really changed my life personally and professionally. That's how I came to it. Well, that's interesting that you had sexual assault in your background, and obviously you said that EMDR can be very helpful for sexual issues. What do you know about sex addiction and EMDR? Yeah, actually, I, it's not an area of specialty for me, um, but EMDR, EMDR and addiction, I think, is the, the, the area of EMDR work that needs the, needs the most work, needs the most research. Um, the research thus far has been uh, promising, but not totally conclusive about EMDR with addictions. Um, several people have sort of developed protocols around EMDR that are very effective that I've, I've seen work in sessions um, with sex addiction in particular. Um, th- there's very limited um, knowledge or, or research out there about EMDR with sex addiction in particular. However, um, addictions, you know, there, there are several uh, peer-reviewed articles um, that are, and some, some randomized controlled trials that are uh, showing some promise in EMDR with addiction protocols. So. Okay, so who would you suggest that addicts look into or follow in terms of potential protocols that may be helpful? Yeah, probably the most popular and common one is, is called DETOUR, and that's spelled D-E-T-U-R. It stands for the desensitization of triggers, and urge reduction. Um, This was developed early on in the EMDR world back in the 90s by a man named A.J. Popke, P-O-P-K-Y. Sadly, A.J. just passed away from COVID about two weeks ago, Um, and he was in his 80s um, and had mostly retired, but um, his legacy will definitely live on in in his EMDR work and his contribution of detour to the EMDR world and healing. Um, He'd been using Detour and teaching Detour for, I guess, 25 years or so um, by this point uh, to help with um, people who are struggling with addictions, to to help them with cravings, with urges, trigger kind of reactions to their addiction and trying to uh, work to bring those down. And so um, had had a good amount of success with that and had started to expand into um, 
you know, even looking at that for things like OCD and um, eating disorders and, and things like that. But, um, but that's really, I would say, the most popular well-known protocol with EMDR. Uh, there are some others, but they don't have as much, uh, it, you know, experience behind them as, as, as Detour does. Got it. And so if you were working with a client who wanted to decrease urges and cravings, would you work on the urges and cravings or would you work on potential issues that bring about stress, generalized anxiety, um, you know, maybe some trauma? Yeah, I think it depends on the client and what they're looking for. My my first line of defense with, I guess, with any client is if they're willing to go to trauma work and they're able, they're stable enough to be able to do some trauma work, I find that that brings the biggest result in healing. And using that sort of standard EMDR protocol is the one we have the most research on. And so I lean a little bit more towards let's deal with the trauma that's in the history that might be creating the unmet needs and the losses and, you know, some of the symptomology that's there uh, first, if the client can do that. Now, if they're not stable, you know, in their recovery or, um, or life, you know, is, is chaotic, things like that, then that's more of a reason to start with uh, the, the detour protocol, which includes before you go into any processing of, of cravings or urges, um, includes, you know, resource building, making sure a client has some coping strategies that replace the addictive behavior um, and, and, you know, having that really set in place first um, so that you can build on success. So that's kind of the way I conceptualize that depending on where the client is in their recovery process. Well, and EMDR is very much client-focused and it, it really mm-hmm. – we usually look for that three-step approach, the, the earliest, the worst, well, the first, the worst, and the present. And so mm-hmm. do you tend to go for the first? Well, you know, when we say three prongs in EMDR, um, I, also, I often want to include, well, it's not just me, that the, the, the future is another piece too. So there's the first and, you know, the worst, and then the most recent, but also the future. So when we think EMDR, we think past, present, future in, this, in that three-prong language. And so generally speaking from a traditional EMDR protocol model, we'd want to go to the first or the worst. Um, however, there's a lot of clients that either don't feel a particular emotional charge to the first memory of trauma that they have, or they feel too overwhelmed by that memory and don't want to go there first. And so I really try and honor that um, and not force anybody to go there that's not ready to. And so one of the ways, and I would say especially with people who struggle with addictions, is that future piece can be a great first place to start. Um, and that might not just be an urge or, or you know, urge to, to do the behavior or craving necessarily, but it could even just be a future fear of relapse, um, a future fear if they have legal, rep, you know, repercussions that they're having to deal with, or things like that that um, that feel very emotionally charged for them that they're worrying about, anxious about. Sometimes I'll start there, um, 
and and can do a little bit more of a restricted version of EMDR um, so as not to overwhelm them or if they're not quite ready to go back to that first or earliest memory or worst memory. So there's, there's, you know, options there for sure. Back in the day, early on when Francine first developed EMDR and we didn't have as much research then, you know, she would say, we want to go to the first and work our way up, you know, sort of in a timeline fashion. But over the years, we've been lucky enough to have the research and clinical, you know, feedback that there are lots of different ways to do this that still allow the brain to do its natural healing work. It doesn't have to be the earliest or the worst. Well, and for many of our clients, um, an EMDR therapist may be all that you need, but oftentimes the EMDR therapist or the EMD therapist is part of the team. What would you tell our listening audience, which is both sex addicts and partners, about when they may feel that EMDR would be beneficial? Um, yeah, uh, let's see. Again, I think, you know, depends on on the client, but I, I generally speaking think that EMDR could be helpful all the way through that process if there is a strong, you know, team of support, um, you know, maybe not just professional team, but social system as well. Um, you know, certainly with partners of sex addicts, you know, um, working on the trauma, the betrayal trauma, the discovery of the, of the addiction, um, you know, things like that can really help bring down, kind of settle the nervous system enough to be able to um, begin the work of couples therapy or begin the work of, of individual therapy toward, you know, reconciliation or trusting again, things like that. For somebody who's in the throes of the addiction, um, it may require, you know, a lot more of the earlier phases of the MDR, which, again, is resourcing strategies, calming, coping mechanisms that help the client make different choices and learn to sort of build on that success first. So it could be really throughout the process, but... Um, you know, sometimes it's it's helpful to have both an EMDR therapist and another therapist who maybe works with a couple or things like that to to you know balance that out. And if there's a a rehab program or you know twelve steps kind of things like that, EMDR works very well with that as well. Yeah, you know, one of the things that I know because I'm out of Indianapolis and and so are you um, is that. You can't do it all. And even though I'm an EMDR therapist, if I'm working with somebody uh, who's a sex addict and then I'm doing couples work with them, I always refer out because it's just too much for me, even though I would love to have all my fingers in that pot, it's it's not fair. And so I, I will refer them out and invariably they come be- back better immediately. Because it's that team approach of we're doing some of the practical strategies and working on some of the core issues, and they're processing the work. And it's just so nice mm-hmm. to, to see it all come together. Um, what would you say is the greatest benefit of EMDR work? I would say 
And the thing I love about EMDR the most, as both a, a client has, that has received EMDR and a therapist that provides it, um, is that it allows the person to, who's receiving the EMDR to begin to believe in themselves again. So, so sometimes I've, I've done sessions where I, as the therapist, say very, very little. So, so, you know, in traditional talk therapy, for those who don't know, you know, there's a lot of back and forth. Therapist makes suggestions. Therapist gives homework. Therapist, um, you know, tries to help balance out the negative thoughts by offering alternative thoughts and helping the client gain evidence of all that. In EMDR, the process is much more internally focused. We call it sort of like a bottom-up type of therapy where it comes from, you know, the client's emotional and, and felt sense of experiences and heals from that place all the way up through into the cognitive, you know, kind of thought process rather than um, in traditional types of therapy where we're trying to c- convince and, and strategize and reorient thoughts and then try and work our way down into the feelings and body from the thoughts. So, so the reason that I like this model better is because when I'm doing the work with clients and when I've experienced it myself, there are these sort of aha moments. It's, it's this access to adaptive, positive information within the client's own brain, own heart, own self, own body that they begin to hear and listen to and, and own and believe that doesn't require them trying to get their heads around something somebody else is suggesting to them. And I think for somebody who is dealing with addictions, but certainly with any kind of other issues or or trauma, being able to trust themselves again um, is probably my favorite thing about EMDR. And to watch that happen in people as well as I've seen it in myself is, is so powerful and so moving. And it's, it's what brings me, you know, back to EMDR over and over and over um, because it's, it's transformative from the inside out rather than the outside in. If that, if that makes, I'm sure you know what I'm saying, Carol, as a practitioner. So, Well, yes, and I absolutely appreciate the way you explain that because that was very understandable to our, our listeners who may not have ever really utilized EMDR. So before we end today, would you share with our listeners how they can find certified EMDR therapists? Yeah. The best way is to go to the uh, EMDR International Association's website, which is emdria.org, emdria.org. They have a find a therapist tool on there. You just click the button, put in your your area that you're searching for, and you can search um, for certified EMDR therapists that way. and it'll give you a list for, for your area and things like that. That's generally the, the best way. You're going to get, generally speaking on that tool, you're going to get people who are really committed to the best practices in EMDR because they have studied not just their basic training but have gone above and beyond to become certified in EMDR. They have a membership with the, with the EMDR International Association, so they probably go to advanced trainings and read materials and books and keep up with the research. So um, then the reason I say that is because a lot of people get trained in EMDR these days. I, I teach it and I know that, that it's a very popular form of therapy. 
Um, and I think um, there are several reasons for that, but mainly because it's so powerful. But, you know, not all therapists are the same, and every client has to find one that really matches well with them. Um, but also, you know, I think EMGR is one of those practices, one of those types of therapy that the more you use it, the better you are with it, the, the more you've studied it and kept up with the research as it changes and, and reforms, you know, the the more effective you're going to be as a practitioner. So generally speaking, Emdria is going to be the best place to find somebody who's certified and has done that extra work, just like you have, you know, and, and I have. So we're not, it's not just that we went for these days of training and said, okay, this seems pretty cool. I think I'll do this sometimes. Like we've devoted ourselves uh, extensively to the study of EMDR and, and uh, that just raises the bar a little bit, I think there. Yeah. And certainly we had to be supervised and had so many hours yes. of supervision and paid for that. That's that right. helped to take us from that training level, level to that certification. We'd have to take sessions, yes. uh, videotape them. I mean, yep. I love the fact that Andrea does a great job of making sure that that this treatment is respected and people are using it appropriately. Um, so yes. again, she said you could go to Andrea. That's e m d r i a dot com and look for somebody in your town. And like Crystal said, obviously you can find somebody in your state who can do this work. Now, EMDR is the same and I do as want to say other mental health. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, Carol, it's emdria.org, not com, just, just so that they oh. get that right, emdria.org. Mm-hmm. Got it. And you can't utilize somebody in California if you live in Indiana. You've got to have a mental right. health therapist that's in your state to do virtual EMDR, correct? That's right. Yeah. I mean, the pandemic has loosened some rules around that, but as a general rule, I'm, I'm sticking to the in-state because that's where the therapist is licensed and licensing boards and stuff like that can get very sticky. So yeah, searching for somebody within your state boundaries is the way to go. Excellent. Well, Crystal, thank you so much. You, you, I've been in your trainings. I've watched you train. It's, it's always amazing. And you know, there are certain things that really show up with a therapist, and you can see every time you present that you're super excited about this, and, and I just appreciate your passion. So thanks for coming on oh, the show today. Oh, thanks. I do love it. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Always love to talk about EMDR. Thanks. All right. Make it a good one. All right. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. All right, so if you're considering working out childhood issues, um, if you've experienced some abuse, some trauma, uh, if you want to see, you know, this is what I always tell my clients. If it doesn't seem like something is working, taking too long, you know, of course, we've got to give uh, therapy time, but if you're not happy with the results, Doing some somatic experiencing, doing some EMDR, which again stands for eye movement desensitization reprocessing, Uh, doing some brain spotting, which you learned about on my other podcast, may be the approach 
that will help you uh, make that shift and catapult you into a change that you're looking for. I'm Carol Jerkinson Chief, a.k.a. Carol the Coach, and we'll see you here next week for more sex help with Carol the Coach. And as I say at the end of every show, there'll only be one of you at all times, so fearlessly have the courage to be yourself. Make it a good week. Bye-bye. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.